Can you hear me? I can hear things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I okay. Can. I hearing. can hear myself, which is really all that matters. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that, guys. Hello, and welcome to the Voice of Design, coming to you from our secret basement headquarters here in beautiful San Francisco. I'm Erica Hall. And this is Mike Montero. And we got a guest. I'm really excited for today's guest. Uh, we are talking to Yona Camacho Diamond. And Yona comes uh, to us from the CWA, which stands for Communications Workers of America. Yona is a union organizer, correct? Yes. So that's fun. Mostly. What does, <laughs> what does a union organizer do? Uh, well, I think there's probably all, all kinds. Um, you know, I'm a CWA union organizer, and fundamental to that, what that means is that I go around and I assist people to organize where they work, to organize unions, to organize collective action um, based at their workplace. Why would somebody want to organize in their workplace? Yeah, it's a good question. I would maybe turn around and say, with all of the issues that people have, right? Because everybody has some issues at work, whether it's a pay or benefits, how they're treated, respect or not respect that they have. Um, you know, you would think that because of all this thing, all the issues that people face, that people would want to change things, right? And I think fundamentally, as humans, They'd want to change things with other people, right? They'd, they'd want to get together and be like, hey, this is not right here. This is not fair or this is not right. Let's let's try to change something about this. But people feel powerless to that's change. That's the point. Well, that's so, the point. I mean, I can complain to my boss, but right. you know, then I get screwed. Right. Fundamentally, you have one person has extremely limited power to change things at work, to change things anywhere, really. Mm -hmm. Right. But at work, it's this particularly Mm, undemocratic, tyrannical place, right? It's this one place in U.S. society where we tolerate like extreme power in the hands of one side of the equation, mm. right? There's people who work and there's people who hire the people who work. Right. And it's totally legit. And we all think it's totally normal and natural for the people who hire the people that work to make all the decisions and to not include the voice or perspective of anybody who does work. Right. So what happens if, let's say I'm being, at, so we're in tech. Yep. Tech is not historically a unionized industry. Correct. And it's a very hard to define industry. I think half the people in tech don't believe they're in tech. Mm -hmm. And you've got people from uh, people who, like you've got like Amazon workers in warehouses, you've got people in call centers, you, uh, you've got, you know, and, and then you've got like the office workers, uh, like engineers and designers and strategists and marketing people and all those people. They've never been interested in this before. And they're starting to get interested now, which is why we're talking to mm -hmm, you. Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a, about a month ago, I finally, I Googled, how do you, how do you form a union? Mm -hmm. And I ended up uh, at the AFL-CIO. And they they had a page very uh, uh, conveniently titled "How to Form a Union," mm -hmm. and there were four easy steps to forming a union. And step one 
was, uh, you know, talk to your coworkers, see if they're also interested. And that, okay, that seems fairly easy to do. I can, mm. I talk to them every day. Step two, uh, contact a union organizer. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a big drop off there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that might as well say summon a wizard. In an industry that's had no union affiliation or interest or anything like that, finding a union organizer uh, and even finding a union that that would 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 take tech workers under their wing seems to be a problem. So I filled out the form. I filled yep. out the form, and I said, "Hey, I'm I I don't work anywhere per se, um, but I'm interested in helping tech workers unionize." Uh, sent it in, and I think a couple of days later, you emailed me. Yeah. So for folks who don't understand how unions work, how can you explain how we got from the AFL-CIO to, to the CWA? Sure. So the AFL-CIO is a federation um, of unions, and um, the CWA, my union, is one of the unions that, that's affiliated with the AFL-CIO. We have our own webpage, Start Your Own Union, and, and I, we get we get hits on that too, where we get leads. People say, oh, I've heard of CWA because they represent the foam workers or they represent the University of California or they represent this, that, and other. I have a friend who um, knows CWA. And so we get some of those through leads online as well. Um, and the AFL-CIO has a bit broad one. Some people have heard of the AFL-CIO because for whatever reason, um, I mean, it, it's at the end of movie trailers. It's at the end of right, movie trailers. Right before right. the right That's before right. the new scene, the new see, the new Avengers teaser scene. You stay around for there's that. There's an AFL CIO those, logo that see scrolls those letters. by. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about the history of how of the labor movement and unions in this country to how we got here because basically the vast majority of the people to your point, like they have no idea what the, what a union is, what the labor movement is. But anyways, back to your questions. The FLCIO is a federation of many different organizations, and they do lots of things to assist those organizations and assist the labor movement as a whole. They've got local chapters. They've got a national office. They do lots of different things to assist building the labor movement. And when they get those um, notes from folks like yourselves, they take it in and then they say, okay, this, where would the best place for this to land? What organization would be the best place to, to turn this to, you know, ad advise this person to go to. And so with tech workers, we actually, in CW, we actually do have a history of in organizing in tech. Oh yeah, um, we do. You know, it's, it's a, it's, Little known because it is it is like been a tidal wave over the last ten or fifteen years of what is tech and the tech world and how changed it has been. But um, I mean, we did start organizing tech workers in Seattle, um, in the late nineties, um, and the early two thousands. We had a an organization called Wash Tech, um, which self organized. So tech workers based out of Microsoft did start to self organize to try to improve things at work. Soon thereafter, they they affiliated with the Communication Workers of America (CWA) and different organizations have affiliated with CWA. You know, airline, you know, the uh, flight attendants and manufacturing and University of California employees, as well as WashTech, these tech workers um, out of Seattle, and they they did a couple of different things to try to improve things in the tech industry in in the late '90s and early 2000s. They did kind of standard unionizing drives. And we can talk about what exactly that means, but basically it's where people do, as you said, you talk to your coworkers, 
In our model, you build an organizing committee, which is a backbone of any organizing campaign, the leadership that then moves the campaign forward, talks to their coworkers, moves it toward either recognition from the employer or an election, um, and then bargains a contract. So let's say that that I work uh, I, I work at a tech company mm-hmm. and there's like 50 people, yep. 50, 50 workers on the floor. So me and the 50 workers, we decide whether we want to form a union, right? Yes. Uh, and then... We vote on whether we want to form a union? So per U.S. labor law, which let's just be very clear here, U.S. labor law um, is no friend to U.S. labor, right? It's a whole system, a legal framework, which basically has limited really workers' ability to organize in big ways in this country. And there's a long, sordid history of how we got here. But- The point is, per U.S. labor law currently, there's two ways in which you can be recognized as a union for your 50 coworkers at your shop. One way is that you can build your campaign and a majority of you can say that you want a union, whether that be on authorization cards or on a petition that if it's it's 50, you know, 26, 30, 32 people can walk up to management and they can say, a majority of us want to bargain collectively with you, and we want CWA as our collective bargaining representative. Per U.S. labor law, the employer at that point is legal entitled. It's completely legit and completely kosher for them to say, okay, I will bargain with you. I see, I recognize that a majority of you want this, and we'll go ahead and do that. It virtually never happens like that Okay. in the U.S. because people... Employers fundamentally don't want to share power. I, th- I thought that sounded a little easy. Right. Like, it oh, has you just happened. walk up and yeah. you're like, hello, we are all together around this issue. Yeah. It it has happened. It actually happened right around the block here this year at, at the Asian Law Caucus, where the workers of the Asian Law Caucus here in San Francisco, we organized with them. We had them sign cards and management said, okay. We recognize that a majority of you want this, and they are bargaining their first contract for the attorneys and community organizers and advocates at the Asian Law Club. It's right around the corner. So it does happen. Cool. But mostly it doesn't happen. All right. Mostly Mm -hmm. the other way, which is the employer says any variation of no, or I don't want to share power, or you'll never have a union over my dead body, or more likely, because they're more savvy now and they've got high-priced anti-union attorneys, they'll say, well, we respect that, but the law says that we have to have a secret ballot election that is guaranteed by the U.S. government. Right? What does that mean, guaranteed by the U.S. government? Or that is like administered by the U.S. government. The U.S. government can't guarantee their own elections. Mm-hmm. Okay, I misspoke with yeah. guaranteed, but that is administered by <laughs> yeah. the U.S. government. The National Labor Relations Board, which is the government body, the federal right. government body that is supposed to uh, protect workers' rights, and they administer a secret ballot election um, if when you go through a process to file for that election, right? So you're, you and your 50 coworkers, right? Right. 30 of you marched on the boss respectfully, but forcefully and like very inspiringly said, <laughs> we want to form a union here. We want to bark. We want a voice at the table. We want some power. We, and we the want some says, representation for our labor. That's right. And yeah. we want to have a say in how things go here, right? We want some respect. 
And our heads are a little higher today because we're doing this. Because That's right. This is an amazing experience for all of us. Um, and then you would, then you would, they would say no. And so you would go to the National Labor Relations Board. You would file for an election, right? And then, basically, within three to four weeks, you would have a you would have a secret ballot election in which the people in the appropriate bargaining unit um, would vote whether or not they want to have form a union. And if a majority vote yes, then you get to the place where you could have been if the employer had just said yes, and then you start to bargain a contract. So a couple questions. Yeah. One, I have to go to the National Rela- Relations Board and uh, request an election. Yes? Uh, someone does. Someone someone from my 50 people. Or with the union. with the, if, you, if you're working with us, okay. for instance, we could do that right. as the petition. So, and there's a three to four week window between that meeting with the boss and that election. Yes. That seems like a hell of a long time for dirty tricks and oh shenanigans. Oh goodness, we have worked so hard to get it to down to that amount of time, wow. to oh. 22 to 25 days. Because what happens is you're exactly right. In that time, the company comes with, I like to call it the carrot or the stick, uh-huh. right? They're much more sophisticated now. They don't come and say, if you vote for a union, I'm going to fire you all because that's illegal. And then they would get a slap on the hand by the but national that's been happening. Board. We've seen that happening. Kickstarter did, did that. They did. And, yeah. and there is a fight over that. It's, so it's against the law and it happens all the time. What? And, they, and they don't. So like what happens is they don't say, I'm going to fire you because, and I'm not intimately aware of the situation at Kickstarter. But in my experience, and what we tell folks when they're organizing is the company, because they've got a high-priced anti-union attorney advising them, will say to them, we're going to let you go, not because you're organizing or not because you're exercising your collective rights. It's because you were late three days in a row or because the tone of your voice to that customer or, or because you're not adhering to the dress code. Right. And there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons that they will make up. So what advice do you have for people in that three to four week period? Should they find themselves in it? So, I mean, I feel like we've jumped fully ahead. We've, we've missed the whole kind of like guts of the campaign. Which oh, go got for us it. Go, let's, yeah. right? let's go back. Because we have to go back and we have to exp- know what it's like to build that, which is you go from having you and you and two friends who want to form a union and maybe we meet at some pizza place and start to talk about that. So hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. At what point do I call you? At, at the point when you want to form a union at the very beginning. Okay. So so let's say me and my three friends decide, Hey, we should try to unionize this place. That's the point where I go to CWA and say, help us. Yes. We, that's what we're here for. Other people do a lot of self-organization and we're see in tech I mean, y'all have been amazing with all the self-organizations that you've been doing and strikes and walkouts and huge actions that are happening with, from as far as I can tell, without a lot of assistance from outside organizations. It's self-organizing it's happening. But yeah, in our case, where we're, we're interested in assisting people to organize, you come to us, we meet up, and then we talk about, I, you know, I do a lot of listening. I mean, the, any, any, any organizer worth their salt knows that the most important job of a union organizer is to listen, right? So I listen to what the issues are. Why do you want to form a union? Like, what are the issues? Um, What are the bread and butter issues? 
Um, what are the beyond bread and butter issues? Sure, you want to make more and you want to have better benefits. That's totally legit, and and I and that's right. What are the places? Where are the places where mistreatment exists, where lack of respect, where sexual or racial harassment is going on, where an organized voice would make a difference here, right? So, because fundamentally, when you don't have an organized voice, what does that mean? That means all the power is in the hand of the employer, right. and the employer can run anything, including any kind of oppressive behavior, sexual harassment, racial harassment, any kind of gay oppression, what have you. And there's no organized way to oppose that. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought up sexual harassment and racial harassment, because you know when you take a look at the world of tech, you see a world that's predominantly white and male. Mm -hmm. So unions can help with that? Yeah, I mean... So back to the basic point is without power in the hands of just the boss, right? If the power is in the hands of just one entity, the, the employer, then all things can run. And that includes issues around wages and benefits, but it also includes issues around lack of respect and lack of dignity and mistreatment and oppression. And when people organize together, you could make all kinds of demands on the employer. Labor law guarantees that if you do form a union, the employer has to sit down and bargain in good faith, is the language, which is a little problematic, but we can deal with it. They have to bargain in good faith over wages, hours, and working conditions. Mm -hmm. They have to do that. There's some things that they don't have to bargain over, but when people are organizing together and making collective demands on the employer, this is not a legalistic situation anymore. This is a situation of power. And when people start exerting power in the workplace, it can have all kinds of implications that are not strictly the letter of the law. Right? So that also said, I do have to say, so unions, you know, let's be honest. Unions have not the best history at all times around racism, sexism, historically, right? A little baggage, a little baggage. A little baggage, a little baggage, right? And so we got to be honest about that. We got to confront it head on. We got to admit we were wrong and we got to move forward. That said, in my experience, unions, which is the, the organized, um, the organized component of the working class, which is a multiracial, multigender, multi-sexual orientation working class, only when we organize ourselves do we have the space to kind of roll up our sleeves and deal with these issues as a class, which we then can exert power to management to try to change how things are happening in the workplace. So yeah, if, I, if, that, if your workplace of 50 people, right, and it's like 40 white dudes and 10 people of color and women... Ten people um, of color would actually be pretty great. In, yeah, in, that'd be a, in Silicon an Valley, like large, holy shit, that's percentage. that's what you call an incredibly diverse Silicon Valley workforce. Yeah. it's going to be more like forty-eight white dudes, uh -huh. uh, one person of color, and 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 uh, one woman. Yeah, that's probably the right the right ratio, right, for these companies. You got oh, anything? Well, oh, what I was going to say is you, that this, I, you've been reading Marxist books all weekend Marxist to get ready weekend. for this. So. Yeah, no, but the thing the thing I've been thinking about and I was talking to some people about over the weekend that's very striking, especially with what you're saying now, is 
uh, I was thinking about this issue of why don't people working in the sorts of companies we refer to as tech, why don't they see themselves as part of a group, as part of a class with shared uh, concerns and with shared concerns vis-a-vis the owners? And something that's really striking to me, I think about the language that's used a lot around these things. And uh, the term individual contributor Hmm. is the term that companies use now to differentiate you're a manager or you're an individual contributor. And I'm not totally sure where that term came from, but it is, that's the term people use now for employee, right? Yeah, I've heard that a lot. If you don't have a special title, and they even they they uh, it sounds great. Like I'm an individual and a contributor. Yeah, I'm a productive individual. <laughs> wow. But I was thinking about this, and it's it's uh, uh, people talk about ICs, like ICs. I don't want to be a manager, and usually uh, people think about this term individuals working. Think about this term positively because they think, well, I don't want to manage. I want to keep. If I'm a designer, I want to keep designing. I don't want to manage people. If I'm a coder, I want to keep coding. I don't want to manage people. But I think there are many insidious ways in which the the style and the language as a part of that style of working in tech companies has not only um, pitted people against one another, because I've, I've done a lot of uh, like gender bias workshops and things like that about and talk to people about the ways that individuals in these companies are, are really like they might talk, the company might talk a big game about, oh, we're so collaborative. We're so friendly. We're such a flat hierarchy. We're a holacracy. Like you hear all of these terms and there are all these variations on this culture of like, oh, we're all cool here. We're all casual. You don't have to worry. We'll take care of you. And I think that term is really important. And I would like to uh, uh, eradicate that term because I think it does a lot of of really destructive things. And I think one of them is it makes you uh, think of yourself as alone and not part of a group at all. And it works, I think, in different ways where you're not, in the one case, just as far as quality of work goes, well, you're not collaborating with people. So some people get away with a lot of behavior because it's like, oh, their skills are special and individual. But I think it also creates this huge barrier because how, what's the group noun for a bunch of individual uh, contributors because people don't think of themselves as workers anymore. That term, I think, has connotations of, oh, I'm doing physical manual labor. People don't think of like, oh, I'm typing and one type of typing is work and labor and one type of typing is management and ownership. Hmm. And there are different power, sorts of power associated with what seems like a very a similar uh, physical interaction. So I was really thinking about that. I'm like, ah, oh, individual contributor is a term that can really be used against workers who who want to organize and see themselves as a group. Yeah. So every group of workers is, has their own unique issues, right? Mm-hmm. And so as I said, a good job of any organizers to listen to what those issues are. And so, sure, tech workers have their individual kind of like the individual worldview and objective conditions that kind of have them think a certain way. I do also think that there's this is part of a broader situation that we have in this country that is the result of a systematic attack on the working class. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's not let's not kid ourselves that people used to think about themselves as workers, right? And they used to see themselves as a class and the labor movement was a, a vibrant strong movement 
of organizations that, as we said, had some limitations and had some difficulties, but also did a lot of good. And a certain, there was a certain mentality there, right? And that that was noticed by those in power. And they noticed that people saw themselves as part of a group. And they actually, I mean, this stuff is written down. The, the, or, the owning class organized themselves. You know, the cha- U.S. Chamber of Commerce, there's this famous thing called a Powell Memo, which is official with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, wrote a memo saying, this is in the early 70s, saying essentially the U.S. working class is too strong um, and they're, they're, their attacks on our way of being, on essentially a free market ideology, is dangerous, right? So they systematically went after breaking down this mentality that we are in it with other people, right? And then they came the 70s and then came, you know, Margaret Thatcher says there are, you know, there's only individuals, there's no alternative. And then Reagan comes and he breaks the PATCO strike, which is this history of a bunch of workers uh, the uh, air traffic controllers who right. s- who supported Reagan for president. They mm-hmm. were a bunch of not the most left-wing union ever, but who supported him for president and then went on strike as soon as he was into office and he fired them all, which was devastating for those people. But it was also, it was a clear signal. I mean, talk about dog whistle politics. This is not dog whistle. This was like straight up the U.S. government telling the owning class Go ahead. It's war on the working class and war on unions. Do you know? Do all this this stuff that you're talking about? Fire people, shut down factories, move things at the hint of any kind of organizing, right? And so, I think it's important for tech workers, for for us who are not tech workers, to understand what the conditions are for for you all, for them all, and it's also important for them to see themselves as part of a working class that has been under attack for. 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, and, and and that mentality does need to be turned around. Yeah. I think another, uh, something I, I'm, I don't know anything about, I'm really interested about is the effect because so many, especially here in the Bay area, there are so many startups and they give uh, incentives in the form of equity mm. uh, to the, the employees. And I think I'm sure this goes a long way towards getting people to think like, oh, I am not a worker among my fellow workers. I am an owner. And as an owner, I'm like a potential multimillionaire. And I'm sure that that uh, as an identity is is a lot more appealing to these people as like, oh, I'm not one of the workers. I'm a special individual who's on my path to right. becoming very wealthy and and becoming one of the other class. And I don't know how, how does this affect unionizing, like giving somebody equity or employees having equity? Does it? And how do you speak to that when people feel like, no, I'm not, my interests are not opposed to that of the owners of the company. We are all together on this rocket ship to billionaires. Yeah. I mean, it's tough when, when they're dangling that kind of money in front of people. I mean, I think there's a couple of things. One is there's a, from what I understand, there's a lot of other working conditions that are going on. Mm-hmm. Like before you get, before that rocket ship takes off, right? Are you working a hundred hour weeks? Yeah. You know, do yeah. you, you know, are you have any say of what, where your product goes? Are you designing mm-hmm. something that then is then used in some 
really horrendous, oppressive way. What does that do to you after you did that for a hundred hours a week for six months? Right. Like, so there's all kinds of human yeah. issues that are going on that affect organizing. Um, but I should also say, this is also not new, mm-hmm. right? Like 20 years ago, I hired on as a technician, outside technician with, was Pacific Bell, the phone company, right? AT&T, you know, and, and they, you know, they try to get us to see our interest as tied in with the company, mm-hmm. right? Their 401k match is in company stock. Yeah. And they talk about the company stock all the time and they build this culture of we need to succeed. You know, and don't get me wrong, like currently under U.S. capitalism, you know, how things are going, the working class does need companies to succeed so that we can succeed as well. Sure. Um, We um, like it when companies succeed. That's right. That's why we put our labor into them. That's right. We just want a fair share of that success for ourselves. Yeah. And until we have a different economic system in which we, as the working class, are actually making the decisions and running things, until then, right, we're still in this place where we they they succeed, and then we, if we can exercise our collective muscle, mm-hmm. can have some of that, can have more, a more fair amount of that. I yeah. mean, there's all this this kind of data about like you know up until the early '70s, U.S. productivity went up at a standard going up rate. And then the share that we got of that, how, you know, how much we got of that in pay went kind of basically mirrored it, sometimes a little less, a little more. And in the 1970s, productivity, so how many widgets we're making in whatever field, like productivity continued to go up on that same graph, but how much we got out of it went flat. Hmm. So we're still being productive. The, just the shift in power has resulted in us getting way less mm-hmm. the fruits of that productivity. And this yeah. is where all the Marxist books you are reading come in handy for. Oh yeah, yeah, cuz the the other issue of course is the uh, the way that I think the power has really shifted is the misclassification of yes. workers. Yes. Like so many people in these so-called first it was the sharing economy and then I guess people thought that the was a little economy. too dis- yeah. yeah, it's the gig economy. And I was reading about because um, I think they stopped calling it the sharing economy because people started pointing out that they weren't sharing anything from yeah, that economy. Exactly. With anyone. There's no, no sharing's happening. Right. So uh yeah, so now more uh, more and more of the, like there are fewer and fewer things that really are like a steady, you know, that idea of like a 40 hour a, a week work week. But there's terrible shift work. Yes. And there's uh there's people just trying to make ends meet as independent contractors who who have no power because it's like we who don't technically work for the company, yeah, which is in bullshit. This, in this stupid right. way. And whose wages uh, can be completely manipulated. You know, they don't have a contract. Like we've we have contracts with clients. You know, and we know like we have our power in those contracts, and we know what fee we're negotiating for. And people who are so called contractors, they don't know how much they made until like the end of a ride, the end right. of a food delivery, and that gets completely manipulated by the algorithms. And now those companies are getting into financial services so they can provide. Payday loans. And I was reading especially about food delivery mm-hmm. because I did a, a research project um, earlier this year with a, a company that I think is a good software company that works to help restaurants and restaurants, a really terrible, hard business. And these delivery companies are, are taking money 
they're taking a cut from the restaurant business. And these drivers, like where there's a Reddit, a subreddit where the drivers are, are like DoorDash drivers are sharing like what they got paid for different trips and, mm. and talking about different strategies for trying to make money. And it's a it's it's stress inducing because they could end up driving around and making like two. Maybe they'll make two dollars. Mm. Oh, maybe I'll make five dollars. Oh, hey, it turns out the company is like actually keeping all the tips and mm. just paying me five dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, and all of all of that's going on. And um, that's probably outside the it's like first we have to get them reclassified as employees. And then I guess they can like that would have to be the step. Right. Like. Could they figure out a way to bargain collectively even under a different uh, labor classification? Because that seems like that's where a lot of the it's like, OK, well, you're all contractors now. Yeah. I mean, it's it's basically an exploitation of the limitations of U.S. labor law. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, you know, essentially, you know, according to U.S. labor law, you know, if they're not a direct employee of whatever the company is, mm-hmm. then no, that that as it currently stands, they don't have to, they don't have any, you know, you'll go to the employee will go to the contractor and the contractor will say, well, they make all the decisions. And then they'll say, well, they make all the decisions and they don't have to do basic labor protections for them. I mean, so, you know, back to the thing about how U.S. labor law is so limited. I mean, let, let it, let's just step back for a second. Just really think about the National Labor Relations Act, which is what the National Labor Relations Board you know, administers. It's the law that, you know, theoretically protects workers' rights to organize in this country. Originally, it had exclusions. You know, it excluded managers, um, confidential employees, security guards, you know, things that you think, oh, okay, maybe that makes sense. They wouldn't be in the same union as the workers in that. But it also excluded domestic employees, and excluded agricultural workers. Why? Because at the time this law was passed, those were black people. Ah. And so fundamentally- Ah. That's always the answer in America. In order to get that law passed, they had to set this racial divide in the working class. Yay, America. And so that they did not have rights to unionize. Right. So the National Labor Relations Act to this day excludes domestic workers and agricultural workers from union protection. And that's the history of that. Mm. Which is all to say that U.S. labor law by itself is not going to get us out of this mess, Mm -hmm. right? That we have to figure out ways, and that's kind of why we're here today, right? Mm -hmm. We have to figure out creative ways to actually organize together and make collective demands on bosses, on the state, on what have you, in order to improve the conditions for the entire working class. Mm -hmm. You know, I just have to say one thing. In in CWA, we do have an affiliate organization called United Campus Workers, which is an organization that organizes university workers throughout the South. Uh, The states are Tennessee, Georgia, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama. These are states where they do not have collective bargaining rights. They're public sector employees. They, They do not have the rights to that. And we have unions in those states. In Tennessee alone, we've got a union of 1,800 dues-paying members on six campuses. And the the motto is, if you get a check from the university, you're in our union. So there's custodial workers, there's professors, there's researchers, there's social, everybody. and, And they don't bargain collectively over a contract because 
that's illegal. They don't have those rights there. In that in those states. In that state. Okay. But they do organize together and they make collective demands of the university, of the state, of whatever it is, and they win because they're making collective demands and they're exerting power and they're having demands met. They don't win everything, mm-hmm. but it is right. an example. I mean, we saw the West Virginia teachers. The West Virginia teachers en masse went on strike last year. That was illegal. They couldn't do that. They couldn't do that. They had no right to do that. They had no right to even have a, 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 they didn't have collective bargaining rights. Wow, I did. This is a. a hold part on, of hold you. on, oh. hold on. I need the end of that story. The end of the story for yeah. the people who don't know. It's okay. so great, right? So they went on strike. They shut down the whole the whole state, which you know it is a a ma- There's major power in the schools. Aside from the fact that you know the economy would not exist if the free childcare that our schools offer, at the very least, they let workers work. So. They went, they, the, the state offered them a raise and they said, no, we want all state workers to get a raise. Wow. Oh shit. So all state workers got a 5% raise by the teachers going on strike, which was illegal. Things can happen if people join together and act courageous, essentially. Yeah. Let me run you through a couple of actual tech scenarios. Cool. Great. (laughs) <laughs> and we can, cause that way we can, we can talk about what happened in a non-unionized space yep. and then what could have happened or yep. what might've happened had that space been unionized. Yeah. So let's say that I work uh, at a, uh, a giant social network, for example, and uh, I'm on the team. Uh, I'm on the newsfeed team. Like I get to decide what, what you see when you log onto that social network and I see that a, a, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that's on there is uh, bullshit, it, uh, lies, uh, lies of a political nature, let's say. And I go to my boss and say, "Hey, I'm not comfortable uh, putting this out to uh, the people who use our service." And your boss says, "Tough luck, because." Uh, we make a ton of money doing this. Yep. Also, uh, if we don't do this, the government has threatened to regulate us. And I currently not using my spine. Uh, so we're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Currently a worker has two choices. Well, three, uh, I mean, they can keep doing it. They can quit. Or I, I suppose they could like stop working and see what happens, walk out, which is a fine choice to take. But let's say that space was unionized. How does it, how does that differ? And I mean, to sum it up, yeah. I'm asked to be, I'm yeah. asked to do unethical work. Yeah. So every union contract to date that I've seen has something in it called management rights, right? Because and basically the gist of it is anything not enumerated in this contract, it's management's right mm. to do. Okay. Hire, fire, direct the work, determine all this kind of stuff. Um, because we still are a capitalist economy in which the owners of the means of production get to decide what to do with them. So per that, you know, you might have in your unionized shop, you might have um, somebody, a second line or third line, or even a higher level manager saying, well, tough, this is, look at the contract. It says management rights. We can, we can decide what the work product is. Okay. 
an aggressive, organized union shop, people could take collective action. And why have another kind, really? <laughs> right. Well, which is another story which yeah. we could talk about. But like, could take collective action and make some demands on management that are beyond the scope of what is technically provided for in the in the labor management uh, relationship per the contract. Okay. And at the very least, you have just cause protection. Okay. So this is fundamental because if you don't have, a, if you're not a union worker, you're an at-will employee, mm-hmm. which means you can be fired for any reason or no reason at all, unless you're a member of a certain protective class and you can prove that, mm-hmm. right? right? Which is very yeah. hard to do. The second you become a union, you have just cause protection, which means that you that cannot be disciplined in any way except for a just cause. Mm. And unless it's a like an extravagant thing in which you were drunk at work or you mm-hmm. violence in the workplace or something like that, if it's something that requires discipline, it needs there needs to be progressive discipline, right? If you're not adhered to the dress code. I can't fire you today. I can't even really suspend you. I have to warn you, give you a warning. Right. And then we have to escalate. We have to do progressive discipline. So in your example, right, where people are having an issue at work that they need to address, which maybe you can't file a grievance over, right? A grievance is a formal complaint when management violates the contract. Mm -hmm. The contract says we get 10 vacation days and they only gave us nine, we can file a grievance, we can fight that, and we could probably win that in a grievance procedure. I'm being asked to lie to our customers. You're being asked to lie to your customers, which is not by the letter of that. You can't file a grievance about that because they have management rights, but you can collectively organize, ideally, to your point, you're already organized because you're a union shop and you've got a good culture and you guys yep. have been continually talking to each other. So you get together and you figure out what collective actions you could take, where you basically have to do a power analysis of the situation to figure out where are the leverage points mm-hmm. for you to achieve what you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. right? And you can do that with the protection that you have. It's, it's called concerted protected activity in which you can act collectively with your coworkers and you've got the backing, not always, but often if you're part of a larger organization, you've got the backing of an organization to engage in that behavior. All right, let's talk about that. Yep. So uh, me and my coworkers get together. We're unionized now. And we say, you know what? We're not going to do this. We're not going to lie to our customers. This is like we have, we, we have a covenant with those people. We do not lie to them. We're walking. Yeah, we're we're stop work tools down. I call up the CWA. Hey, this is what's going on. Everybody here just decided to uh, put the tools down. Uh, you got our backs, and you're under contract. You have a contract, which yeah. Let's say already, we got right. a contract. We went right. full union. We did the whole thing, right? And we we specifically ask for your assistance in this matter, right? What can you do for us? So, um, I wish it wasn't tricky, but it is because well, if, we got to be honest about no, no. stuff here. And I'm, so. and I'm just being honest, right? Because if you've got a contract that you've negotiated, like once again, almost every contract I've ever seen has a, what's called a no strike, no lockout article, right? Which basically says during the life of this contract, we won't go on strike and you won't lock us out, which is basically the only reason why <laughs> the boss signs the contract. Mm. Right. Right. 
in the end of the day. That's mm-hmm. fundamentally, that's why they're going to sign a contract. So you won't yeah. go on strike. So it's a three-year contract. Right. So um, if you're outside that contract, you're still negotiating a contract, all bets are off. You can go on strike per that. You know, If you are in that contract, it's complicated, right? So if you are a 50-person union shop in which you know, you would talk to your local leadership and they would say, you know, well, the contract says you can't go on strike. So it would be dicey. We cannot, we cannot endorse, we as a local leadership, we, because the, the law is such that it is, once again, a, more of a, an anchor around the necks of the working class, the, the, the union officials can have repercussions against them if they support what's called a wildcat strike. Right. Right. Which is basically a strike while you're under, when you've, while you've committed to uh, not strike, mm-hmm. it's you striking. Got right? it. That's a wildcat um, strike. That's a wildcat strike. You know, the U.S. labor movement is littered with wildcats. I mean, before the National Labor Relations Act, right, before contracts became a thing, right, that's how people didn't have grievances. They just, if they didn't like what was happening, they just went on strike. They just put the tools down. And that's how they, that was what labor management relations were. Now we've got this whole bureaucratic system, which with the legal limitations that it has. So it, Probably what I would say, if I'm the local president who you're talking to, I would have wanted to talk to you before that, right? I'm, we're, hopefully, we're not going to talk the first time when it's hit the <laughs> okay, boiling Okay, okay. Well, this is right? good to know. Right. So, yeah. so I talked to you before making that decision. Yeah. Ideally, we're in regular communication, right? The right. local leadership as well, the local union leadership as well as the shop. And you're trying to address these issues in lots of different ways. All right. So let's rewind. Yep. So- the company asks us to do shit that we feel is unethical. Yep. Talk to a couple of people at work. Like, yeah, this is not cool. We don't like to. Right. All right, let's call the CWA. Right. And then, and then, uh, hey, and then I call you like, hey, Yona, they're asking us to do some weird ass shit here. We right. are not okay with this. This is going to hurt people. What do we do? Um, so then we organize our coworkers. We do what's called internal organizing, which is we organize the shop that's already represented. Okay. And we see if this is a widely felt issue. All right, right? let's say it because is. Because it, it, it is, right? So like, it's a widely felt issue that people are actually have some interest in fighting over. Yeah, people right? are not cool doing They're this. They're absolutely not cool doing this. So then we have to sit down and we have to do a power analysis. Mm-hmm. We have to figure out what the objective conditions are. What mm-hmm. is our goal? What's winnable? What are the tactics that we need to do that? Right. The first thing we do is not a wildcat strike. Right. One, because it, it just doesn't make tactical sense. Right. Well, I mean, let's assume that workers want to keep working. Yeah. They mm-hmm. just want to keep working on things that are beneficial to society. Right. Like fingers crossed, I hope. Right, right, right. So yeah, the goal is that we want to we want to yeah. fix this. Mm-hmm. We want to keep going. Yeah. And I really like the um the concept of um I'm now I'm not remembering the phrase the power analysis mm-hmm. is that is that what the yeah phrase? I've never yeah. heard that before yeah because that's something that uh, some sometimes we've talked about not in so many words when we've gone in and done these like the bias workshops because yeah. that's yeah. that's very similar to the advice I would give is before you decide what to do or before you decide what battles to fight because sometimes if you're feeling like oh, I'm not being listened to. I'm not being respected. It, it feels like all these little things or big things coming at you. I say like what you have to sit down and say, what do you want and have clarity about that? Because you can't pick a battle until you're really clear on what you want. And 
take a look and see where your leverage is. And I think this is very similar to the types of analysis that designers do all the time. It's like you step back, you look at the system. And so I would say that even like at any time, that's just a great technique is to think of things more systematically. And I think that's something that's a way of thinking that people don't have because they're in this like produce, produce, produce to increase your company's valuation. I think that's a really strong mindset in tech. It's like be productive, raise the stock price. If the stock price is up, everybody wins Mm -hmm. instead of really stepping back and saying, well, what, what do you want? What do you and your um, that your group of of peers at work want, and then then where is their leverage to get that? Because yeah, like you said, it's like you don't go straight to we're we're going on strike and we're walking out. There are if you think strategically and you work together with people and feel that you're part of a group, there are a lot of things that you could do. And I just feel like that's a way of thinking that has been it's been I think. hidden from people by the other rhetoric around work and productivity and and whose interests are aligned. Like there's a big story. There's a you have snacks, you have a company T-shirt, all our interests are aligned. And people never step back and just take that pause and say, are my interests really aligned? Like what promises have been made? What work? Because so often I think people say that they get told that their work is one thing, which is like, oh, we're saving the world. We're doing good things for people. And there's a real internal PR message. And some of the most productive conversations could be like the what are we really trying to accomplish here? Are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Yona, have you ever looked at uh, job postings for tech workers? Uh, Not a lot. It is a fascinating world of, uh, I mean, you get some real insight Mm -hmm. into what people believe they're joining Mm -hmm. or signing up for. It's a happy collective, really. Right. That's that's a lot of the languages. We're, yay, us, we're all. Join our team. Join our team. We're all equal snacks. Well, I mean, there's that. So that's one end. Yeah. the, The come join Teletubby camp. And then there's the other end of are you a superstar, ninja, yeah. warrior? Hmm. That That's yeah. who we want. That's who we're hiring. Yeah. 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 We're looking for like a the superhero individual. Yeah. yeah. We should probably wrap up. Okay. Yeah. We gotta, I mean, we've covered so like we could really this is so fascinating. Well, we you could, know, I hope this is the first of a few, quite honestly. Yeah. But I this mean, is I, I think the reason that um, we're beginning to see activity in in the tech sector about organizing a workforce. I mean, I think there's there's like two things that come to mind for me. One is um, feels like people were made a promise, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that promise has been broken. That Steinbeck quote about temporarily embarrassed millionaires. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's. I mean, tech mm-hmm. workers really believed that the idea that they were workers was a temporary thing. Like if I put in a few years at this company, uh, I'm going to be, I'm no longer going to be a worker. I'm going to be, a, a, I'm, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be a, a, a whatever the next stage is. Uh, tech work feels like a temporary thing. Uh, and I think even in most workplaces, it's like, yes, we're working a hundred hours a week, but it's only until we launch. It's only yeah. in this temporary thing. Well, it's a, it's a step on the path to being an investor. So I would right. say to update, 
the quote about temporarily embarrassed millionaire. It's a temporarily uh, embarrassed venture capitalist. Everybody sees that like, I'm going to be, I'm going to get my money and I'm going to be an angel investor. So let's call it a temporarily embarrassed angel is is actually the mindset people are in. And then I'm going to be investing in these companies and I'm going to become even wealthier. And I think that is the narrative that's dominating every, every kind of company is being influenced by hooking into this narrative. It's a pyramid scheme that, that people are seeing doesn't Mm -hmm. exist. Yeah. Uh, and I think the second reason is I think people are beginning to see what their, the fruits of their labor are going into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for like 20 years or so, we were, you know, changing the world, building a better society, blah, 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 blah. Everybody was going to be friends online. And now, you know, we're seeing what that stuff, I mean, uh, social networks brought brought fascists back. And uh, people are like, mm-hmm. whoa, I was working on that. Holy shit. Yeah, and we're seeing the fact that Travis Kalanick is a billionaire and he generated what? Like it was all just like rent-seeking garbage. Yeah, yeah. and when I mean, when these companies like flame out spectacularly, the people at the top still get rich. Yeah. Because they have contracts that yeah. they negotiate. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they have preferred stock. Yeah. And yeah. I just, I also would say, I mean, because I'm the, this, this thing is nagging at me, your issue about like... um if people are forced to do unethical stuff and like there, I don't know, there's not a quick and easy answer about it. I mean, the one thing I would say is that we got a lot of work to do, Yeah, right? There's a lot yeah. of work that needs to be done to oppose the forces that are destroying the planet, frankly. Right. Yeah. And that if we don't organize with each other, I know one thing we're going to lose. Yeah. We're yeah. definitely, we have, that's guaranteed. If we don't do something collectively, we're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is what I tell people all the time from, from the beginning to the middle to the end of every campaign. If we do organize collectively to try to put our minds together and think mm-hmm. about things in new ways, because you can do that with other people when you're doing things collectively, we might not win. We might not win. We Whoa, might lose. The slimmest of chances. But we have a maybe. The slimmest That's of right. chances. We have a maybe. We have a possibility, which we absolutely don't have if we don't do anything. No. Right. And we throw up our arms and say, oh, this is too big. This is too hard. Mm-hmm. This is too new. This is too different or what have you. I yeah. think right now, a slimmest of chances is the best hope that we can have as a planet. Mm-hmm. So we need to take it. Yeah. Uh, Yona, if I uh, work at a place that is thinking of unionizing or has questions about unionizing or is uh, union curious, uh, how do I get a hold of you? Um, so I think probably the best way we have one of those sites in which you filled out your form, cwa-union.org. Um, so that's a kind of like if people are all over, you can just go there and there's an mm-hmm. uh a place where you can fill out that form. It'll get routed to people who are in the locations where you are. If you're in the San Francisco Bay area, Northern California, mm-hmm. Northern Nevada, that's, that's my general turf. Um, and so I'll be calling you really soon um, as will my colleagues uh, all throughout the country. Well, here's hoping that you get really, really, really busy soon. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much Thank for you. coming Appreciate on our it. show today. Yeah, yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, thanks, everybody, for, for listening. Uh, this shit's important. Yeah. Agreed. You want to send us off? You got anything you want to say? Something smart. You're good at that. 
uh, uh, thank, thanks. No, no pressure on that. No, I'm not an individual contributor. I'm just one person helping to work together on these really hard problems that are beyond, you know, the the ability or the responsibility of any any one person. And absolutely, we should all be working on things together and talking to each other. And the, yeah, I think that's the first step is this mindset shift <laughs> from it's all on me, it's all up to me to control or to do to, hey, we're all these like social creatures, like trying to solve some really hard problems. And that takes us working together to do anything. That's what I'll say there. There you go. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to The Voice of Design. You can find us on Twitter at VOD Rocks, V-O-D underscore R-O-C-K-S. Tell all of your friends and colleagues to listen. And if you are so moved, rate us really any place you can rate podcasts. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye.